On News Radio 930 WBEN, this is Buffalo Means Business, where local businesses and services tell their stories. I'm Randy Bushover, and if you have one of those stories to pass along, send me an email at randy.bushover at intercom.com. With us this segment, Attorney Brian Noth with the Tempio PC Law Group, and happy holidays to you. Welcome in. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for having me. Now, how long have you been associated with the group and or been an attorney? Maybe they're not the same thing. I'm not sure. They're, they're not. Uh, let me uh, answer the second part first. Um, I started practicing law in 1991, so I'm roughly at 27 years at this point in time. I was previously at a firm for 18 years doing personal injury, and I've actually been with Latempio since uh, January. Um, they had an opening. They came looking for me, and uh, I joined, and it's been a, a great move. Yeah, and a pretty good fit, too, because Latempio PC Law Group, uh, personal injury, as you, we know from the advertising, that's kind of the main focus for what you guys do over there, right? It is. Uh, we have a, a team of lawyers that handle the personal injury cases. We've got decades of experience uh, doing these kinds of matters. Uh, you know, we provide complete counsel, you know, to our clients and, and take them through the the entire process from the beginning through settlement or, or through trial and, and make sure that, uh, you know, we're working with them and getting them through the stress of handling a personal injury matter, uh, you know, throughout the whole process. And the personal injury spectrum, it's kind of a wide one, right? You're talking uh, slip and fall, auto accident, that and, and everything in between? It, it, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we handle car accidents, obviously, like others do. Um, we handle a lot of slip and falls uh, throughout the area, especially now at this time of year. Um, we also do construction accidents, uh, medical malpractice. Uh, we handle dog bites, injuries on property, um, and, and, you know, sort of the, the, the complete segment, if you will, of uh, the personal injury practice. And one case in particular uh, brought to my attention here, and we're going to talk a little bit about that for a part of the program here, is uh, something you can actually talk about, right? Because the client has kind of given you the okay? Is that, yes, is that how yes. that works? Um, yeah, I, you know, um, I mean, most of the time when cases are, are put into suit and all, they pretty much become public knowledge for the most part. Uh, people can go and look and search up this particular case, can search up other cases, you know, through the, the court system, so... Yeah, and I'll just give the uh, the lead-in, and you can give the, the rest of the details if you wish, but there was a 56-year-old client attacked by a potentially rabid fox in a New York State park. So that kind of brings in a bunch of complications because you have a wild animal, right, something that is not like a, a normal pet, and a person just, uh, I would I presume, just out for a walk or a bike ride or something like that, and in a state park, so now you've got the state involvement. You're right. It does uh, bring in you know, various issues and, and rather complicated issues. Um, and interestingly, this particular individual had called a, a number of attorneys uh, before he spoke with me, and those attorneys declined the case for various reasons. And I can think, you know, some dealt with, oh, hey, the state's involved. Some dealt with, like you mentioned, it's a wild animal, and how do you, how does the state protect people against a wild animal? And then people don't necessarily realize that when the state operates a, a state park like this, um, they're no different than any other property owner. Um, they have the same duties and obligations that a property owner does to keep their property safe uh, from, you know, dangerous conditions, you know, and the like, um, you know, whether you're a commercial property owner or even a homeowner. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, be, of course, the state doesn't necessarily realize it either because throughout this case they've kept trying to argue sovereign immunity uh, every step of the way, which has not worked out real well for them. But uh, and what was also interesting about this case um, because of the the wild animal component, you know, it's a little bit different than, oh, hey, I went to the state park and, you know, fell in a hole or fell off a cliff or, you know, those types of sort of physical uh, uh, matters that, you know, the, the state either, you know, tries to protect against or warn about. Um, you had a wild animal here. And the interesting thing about this case is 
my client got attacked about five o'clock in the afternoon when he was sleeping in a chair outside his campsite. Um, and unbeknownst to him, earlier that morning, uh, a couple was out playing tennis at the state park, and this fox came out and sort of went after these two people at the tennis courts, and which should have drawn you know red flags to the people there because foxes are, are typically nocturnal, but they're also very timid animals. If you approach a fox, a fox will usually scurry off in the opposite direction. Right, um, and on top of that, the possibility that there's some kind of a di- disease that this uh, fox is carrying. Well, that was it. Uh, he was biting on the tires, which is another sign, um, you know, and was actually going after these people. Um, they ended up um, knocking it out with a tennis racket and then immediately went and reported the incident to the park managers because they were so upset about what had happened. Park managers looked around a little bit, did, didn't really do anything. Um, they should have called the park police and had them come in and look for the fox because of the fact that this fox was, you know, exhibiting these abnormal signs. Um, and, you know, also could have gone out and warned the campers, um, which they did none of uh, as far as things go. And then later that day, my, my guy's sleeping and all of a sudden wakes up with this fox gnawing on his face. Um, and with rabbit animals, um, what they tend to do is they go after the eyes when they attack a prey. So this fox kept jumping at my client's face. He kept throwing it off. Uh, his face was getting sort of chewed on, if you will, and he kept throwing it down, and finally he, he threw it down, and the, the fox scurried off. Um, after that, he went and reported it to the, the park manager again. They called the park police in, and within a couple of hours, they found the fox, and uh, and took care of the fox, and then later determined it was a, you know, a rabid animal, um, and all that. Um, and which, you know, when we all grew up, you know, you always hear things about, oh, stay away from that, could be rabid, you know, because everybody said, oh, hey, you're going to get these shots in your stomach, and they're real painful. Um, nowadays, they actually do the rabies shots in the open wounds, and my client went through a series of four separate okay. shots through the open wounds in his face and in his hand and in, in his leg. Yeah, pretty tender spots on the body too. Yeah, so that can't exactly. Have been too no, it wasn't pleasant, pleasant at all. Yeah. Uh, pleasant at all. Um, and so what we argued was the fact that the you know um, in, in a normal situation, you know, a, a fox attacks somebody, and you're thinking, okay, what's a, the park to do about it? But we argued that the the state park had prior notice of this incident in the morning and had ample time to take action uh, to, like I said, either you know, eliminate the fox or at least go around and warn people about the existence of this fox, um, you know, and so that people could take action, either leave the park or at least not fall asleep in a chair. Um, and the states pretty much fought us all the way through. Um, we did get, um, and the one thing about the state too is you can only sue the state in the court of claims where you basically have a judge and no jury. Um, and we actually made a motion uh, for judgment against the state, which was granted by the judge. The state didn't like that. They appealed. The appellate division unanimously, uh, five to zero, found in our favor as well against the state. And now we're scheduled for a, a trial come in February on just the damages portion of things because the, the park agency still doesn't believe that they're at fault for <laughs> what happened here. Um, you know, how do we control right. a wild animal? Uh, you know, that kind of argument as far as things go. And that's what's been somewhat significant about this case. Um, anytime I'd call down to the court of claims and say, oh, hey, I'm calling about that case involving the, oh, we know what case you're talking about. And apparently at the state attorney general's office, it's also a very hot topic um, talking about this case because it's completely different from everything they normally deal with, which was part of the reason why I thought it was crazy that they appealed and everything because it's like, okay, you already lost. Why don't you just sort of settle it and bury it away somewhere? And now you've created some great law for plaintiff's attorneys out there, not necessarily the state, you know, sort of moving forward with things. Right. Speaking with attorney Brian Noth, he's with Latempio PC Law Group. This is Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN. So now... The, the even more difficult part, perhaps, you, you mentioned it's going for a judgment, looking for some monetary damages. 
Uh, and, and you said that it's a little bit different because of the way it's set up. So is there kind of a cap on what you, you can ask for in this case? Or is it strictly we want just resolution of you know bills incurred because of the incident, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's part of it. Uh, there, there are some medical expenses that we were going to be reimbursed for. He missed some time from work um, and lost a, a one job as a result of this. So we're looking for some economic damages there. And then we're looking for sort of, you know, more a subjective kind of thing for pain and suffering that he's gone through and sort of continues to go through because his face healed up. Um, however, he had a, a bite in sort of the web uh, of his hand between his thumb and, and first finger there, and he's got permanent damage on his dominant hand. Um, and the state just had him examined by a doctor who found that he's got permanent damage there, you know, on a dominant hand, which makes this, you know, a fairly significant, uh, you know, injury and fairly significant with respect to compensation. And he also has, you know, sort of, if you will, sort of post-traumatic stress from this, you know, attack. I mean, he sort of relives it. Um, you know, he has nightmares about it uh, um, as far as things go. And, I mean, he hasn't really treated for that because he just didn't want to keep talking to people about the incident as far as that goes. But you're right. It, we then basically put it in the hands of the judge when we try the case, and the judge makes it a decision. Um, and we haven't decided yet whether we'll actually put forth an amount or leave it up for the, to the judge to, you know, weigh all the different uh, elements, if you will, of, of damages and, and make the decision. Now, not everything you do is this complicated. There have to be some more straightforward cases that you deal with, I would imagine. We do. We do handle some, you know, rear-end collisions where there's not really any issue, and it's a matter of uh, what the injury is and how quickly do you heal up from the injury. Um, and then slip and falls, too, you know, broken arm or broken leg, uh, something that requires surgery. You know, it's, it's a little bit more straightforward uh, as far as things go. But uh, yeah. And how, how does that law apply? I mean, mindful of the, the weather that we've been experiencing and will for the next couple of months, uh, where does I, I not the fault lie, but what is the def defining line for you know how much uh, ownership that a business or place has to take for uh, salting or clearing a sidewalk, say? Yeah, it, it, it sort of goes along with that same uh, duty that I talked about, an obligation that a, a, a property owner has. Um, you know, if it does snow or if there's is ice, um, I mean, they're they're given a, a reasonable period of time to go out there and, and take care of the situation. Um, but they do have an obligation to go out and remove snow or salt if there's there's ice down. Um, and they also have to be careful if they, you know, go out and remove the snow that they don't create a worse condition. Um, you know, as a result of removing the snow and then having ice underneath. Um, but the law does give them, you know, a, a reasonable period of time after a storm may cease in order to go out there and take care of the situation. And there's a question of, you know, are they on notice of things? Um, you know, but notice isn't simply, oh, somebody has to tell me, oh, my sidewalk's icy, but they have an obligation to go out and inspect the sidewalk as well. Um, and, you know, from time to time or have people that are, that are out there doing things. Um, and we've handled cases like that where, oh, sorry, we didn't have enough staff to go out and take care of the, the sidewalks or we did part of the parking lot but didn't do you know the rest of the parking lot whether it's at the you know the Walmart or the grocery store or even apartment complexes you know especially for people that are leaving for work earlier in the morning uh, as far as that goes um, of course you know the insurance companies that get involved say well hey it's western New York you know so I guess that means as soon as you walk out your door you take the risk of falling down yeah. and, and getting injured because hey it's western New York um, you know which we obviously take into to account but uh, you still there's there is an obligation and duty on on property owners to to take certain actions in these kind of situations yeah being like a non-lawyer but legal you know a legal beagle sort of reasonable time how is that defined and, and, and it, that that varies um depending on the circumstance um as you maybe at, at your house you know you might be given greater amount of time to remove ice and snow in the driveway or in front of the sidewalk because you're not necessarily inviting 
people. You're not a business where you're expecting, okay, we open at nine o'clock in the morning and people are going to be coming in, you know? So a homeowner has a little bit more leeway, um, you know, uh, a store or a business that says, you know, we're open at nine o'clock in the morning. You know, I don't think it's appropriate for them to say, oh, well, yeah, we got around to cleaning the ice and snow at 1030 after we'd already been open for an hour and a half. Um, you know, it gets a little trickier, you know, when you move out into like apartment complexes and some other, you know, situations where every, you know, people are sort of coming and going all the time. You know, they almost have more of a duty to, you know, take care of things on an ongoing basis. Um, we also run into, you know, situations where you know, people are going to work. Um, any of their employer or somebody who owns the, the parking lot where they're parking, you know, knows that people are coming to work at a certain time of the morning. So they should take steps in advance of that to have people at least go out and inspect the area and, you know, ascertain whether or not, you know, something needs to be done or not needs to be done before people start, you know, coming onto the property or going to work and the like. Well, Brian, I know we've just scratched the surface of what you do <laughs> over there at uh, Latempio PC Law Group, but if they want to get a hold of you or the group, how do they go about that? Yeah, people can uh, access our website. It's uh, simply lotempiopc.com. They can call us at uh, 855-3761. We have attorneys uh, that are there that take the calls. When anybody calls with respect to an injury, uh, we always try to make a point of having that person actually speak to an attorney so that we can, you know, get the information that we need, uh, determine whether or not it's a case that we want to handle, um, and if, you know, get involved, we can start doing, you know, our investigation as early as possible, uh, you know, with respect to things. And and we can also talk to the clients on the phone, even before necessarily we've met with them and say, hey, you know, did you take photos of where you fell? Did you go for medical treatment at this point? Uh, you know, some of the things that, that people need to do sort of immediately after, you know, they're slipping fall or a car accident or any type of injury as far as that goes. Um, and then we usually try to get them into the office as quickly as possible or go out to meet them wherever, you know, they may be, their house or, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in coffee shops. They're my sort of my remote offices. You know, wherever there's a coffee shop, a Tim Hortons or this or that, I have an office. So, um, you know, we try to go out there and, and meet with people, um, especially people that don't want to come down into the city and all. Right. Very good. Always make sure you got the documentation. That'd be the number one key. Yes. Brian, thank you very much for the time. Oh, thank you very much, and thanks for having me, and happy holidays. Same to you. Again, thank you. Attorney Brian Noth with the Lotempio PC Law Group. This is Buffalo Means Business on News Radio 930 WBEN.